0: Welcome to Russ Podcast tonight. I'm your host, Kirk Space. Are you saved today? Do you have a born-again Christian experience that you want to share with me on the show? Do you consider yourself religious? Are you questioning the Bible or even God's existence? If so, I want to have a conversation with you. You can find me on Instagram. Send me a message on there at Podcast. Or you can shoot me an email at rustpodcast at proton.me. That's rustpodcast at proton.me. Friends, tonight, I know I took a week off for Christmas. You know, everybody's busy. The holidays are here. This episode, let me give you a little backstory here. Uh, so the church that we follow... Um, Sun Life Broadcasting Network, Jimmy Swagger Ministries. There's a cross-preaching church that affiliates with SBN up in Grand Island, New York. And it's Cross River Tabernacle, pastored by Mike Chory. And every year, Pastor Mike puts on the Joshua Revolution Conference in Erie, Pennsylvania. And he's been doing this for, I think, over 20 years now. And he does it the week of Christmas, Every year, and it's a it's a youth outreach, and um, it's it's an amazing conference. And unfortunately, I haven't been able to get to it yet because working in the service industry for um, a, the linen company I work for, driving truck, uh, the week of Christmas and New Year's are blackout weeks, and I can't get the time off to go. So this year, uh, Adam, who's been on with me before a couple times, and our other friend Jared. The two of them went out to Erie uh, this week for the conference, and they uh, they got there, I think Wednesday, and I think it was Wednesday night, Adam calls me and says, dude, I got a story for you. I got it. somebody who's willing to come on the podcast and share their testimony, and you better block out like four hours for this guy, because nobody has ever let this guy finish his testimony. I said, well, he's come to the right place because I'll give him all the time in the world. So we got this guy's phone number and his name is Jason Safakis. and he has the most, ah, man, the most riveting testimony I've ever heard in my life. This guy is a walking, talking billboard for Jesus Christ and the most... Prolific example of how the Lord can turn somebody's life completely around from being in the totally opposite direction. This is a long one and it's not going to let you down. Uh, God gets all of the glory in this. So sit back, relax, and for the next two and a half hours, This testimony is going to take you for a ride, and I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to Jason right now. So Jason, how we doing, brother?
1: Good, good. How are you?
0: Good, man. I'm excited to do this. Uh, This is our first time talking, and uh, two of my buddies were out at the JR Revolution Conference yesterday and adam calls me he says dude i got an interview for you this guy's testimony is going to blow your mind he said nobody's ever been he never gets to finish it it's so long i get i'm he said he wants to come on your show i was like awesome so here we are man i'm glad you're uh you weren't willing to come on the show and share your testimony with me
1: thanks for having me praise god right yeah god absolutely Sorry, man
0: yeah oh. so uh before we get into that, just kind of uh, tell everybody your name. Uh, I know you have a ministry you just started. It's Broken and Betrayed. I'm changed. So maybe just go a little bit into what that's all about and, uh, you know, anything you want to promote or, or get the word out about, you know, go ahead.
1: Well, my name is Jason Sefakis. I'm from a small uh, hamlet called Kilbuck, New York. It's an hour and a half south of Buffalo, New York. Uh, you know, I started this ministry called Broken and Betrayed. I'm Changed Ministries, and what it is is it's the street ministry. And the street ministry, well, you'll you'll hear how how it plays a part in my life today when I get into my testimony. But the Lord really put it on my heart about two years ago to get out there and just work with the addicted to work with the less fortunate. See, I I say less fortunate. I don't say poor because I once was poor. So I don't use the word poor, you know, and, and people say homeless. I just say less fortunate, but I got out there, you know, and, and just started this ministry working with, the you know, be addicted to less fortunate women, you know, and and children, families, you know, struggling, you know, because man, the world we live in, it's, it's just tough. And, the Lord just told me to get out there and do what he called me to do. And, and that's what I'm doing with this ministry. Uh, I started, uh, uh, it, it's called the Recovery Rally. I started that two years ago. I hold it every year in uh, Lincoln Park in only in New York. It's down in the middle of Olean. Uh, I ho- hold it this year. I'll be holding it on August 31st. Why? That's overdose awareness. And uh, this year, during the Overdose Awareness uh, event, they presented City of Lonely and presented me with a Certificate of Hope for the city and the region, you know. So that's basically, you know, yeah, a little bit of what God's done for me, you know, and continues to do for me.
0: Praise God, man. And you said yeah. you've been doing this ministry now for, what, about two years?
1: Yeah, a little yeah. over two yeah. years.
0: How long have you been saved now? About three Wow. So he's got you jumping right into it, pretty much.
1: (laughs) Yeah,
0: Well, praise God, man. Well, I'm excited to get into your testimony and see what the Lord's doing in your life. So uh, we'll just open with a word of prayer here, and then we'll jump right into it. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you today, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together here with Jason and let him share his testimony on what you've done in his life, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that your spirit, can be about this conversation and that you can lead this conversation to where you would want it to go. And Lord, we pray that the listening audience can have ears to hear and a heart willing to accept the truth of your word and let this move on the hearts of all people all across the world, Lord. And may you get all the glory, and in Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen.
2: All right,
0: brother. Well, the floor is yours. There is no time limit. You you take (laughs) us as far back as you want to go. Uh, whatever you want to, however you want to lay it out, man, it's all, it's all yours.
1: All right. First off, I'd like to, you know, just give praise to our heavenly father and, you know, thank him for allowing me to have this opportunity to be here, to be on this podcast, to share my testimony, because if it wasn't for him, you know, none of this would be possible. Amen. So I'm starting off with a scripture real quick and it's Psalms 107, one through three. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out, tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. For He has gathered the exiles from many lands, from the east and west, from the north and south. And I and I say this because, where my testimony, you're going to hear my testimony, and and this is why the Lord really redeemed me. See started off you know as a young kid you know i grew up in this like i said little hamlet of killbuck i went to salameca high school uh but you know as a kid growing up you know every kid's dream is to play sports and you know uh, for me i wanted to be a a sports athlete i wanted to be a cop you know and little things like that so you know growing up in that small uh, hamlet (laughs) city of salameca is where i went though. Oh, you know, my mother and father did what they could for us. You know, my mother and father got divorced. I come from a divorced family. Uh, At the age of seven, though, my life took a turn. Uh, At the age of seven years old, uh, back in the day, I don't know if anyone knows, but I grew up in a trailer, mobile home, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And my father heated with kerosene. So I don't know if any of you know, but... Out there in the world, but back then, we had the six packs of glass Pepsi bottles. Well, my father had put the old kerosene in the old glass Pepsi bottles. and one day, at seven years old, I tried sneaking a bottle of Pepsi and uh proceeded to chug it, and when I chugged it, found out that it wasn't pepsi, that it was kerosene. and it ended up burning my lungs seven years old i died seven times and i was in icu for seven months see and and it's tough because back then i didn't know but you know the lord restored me and gave me a gift back then but i didn't even know it so you know growing up i remembered um the doctors saying when this happened you know telling my father and my mother that you know i'd never be able to play sports that I'd always need an inhaler, that I'd need a breathing machine, all this fancy, wancy stuff that I need because, right, let's face it, I burnt my lungs. <laughs> I was pronounced dead seven times. You know, I was in ICU for seven months. I had a long journey ahead of me. So uh, my father was a correctional officer for the state of New York. He uh, owned a bar restaurant with my, with my father called the Pyramid Inn in Kilbuck, New York. He actually, my grandfather, built it from the ground up. And uh, so once I got released from the hospital as a young kid, I remembered, you know, what was my my dreams? My dreams ended, you know. Uh, I wanted to play baseball. I wanted to do all these things a young kid wanted to do. And my father wouldn't allow me to do it, you know. Uh, said, you know, don't you remember that what the doctor said I'm like dad yeah but i i I know I can play and forever forever he just wouldn't allow me to play and forever and ever i just i remember just he was a coach for s y a baseball for in our local town I don't know if other people on here know like midget peewees pop Warner whatever you want to call it titans <laughs> whatever but he coached uh, SYA baseball, and I remembered you know being uh, the bat boy, the water boy, and helping him and helping all my, all my friends were on the team, you know, as my dad was coaching, and one day I remembered just begging and pleading him, and I'm like, dad just let me try, just give me a shot. And he said, "You know what, what's it going to hurt?" And he finally gave me a shot. You know he gave me a shot, and I fast forward it, because from there on, boom. I was a phenomenal athlete you know i went to salomeca high school uh, i hold records to this day still to this day at the high school for uh most interceptions you know track records uh, <laughs> you name it i was big 30 defensive player of the year i was new york state all first team all state i was def- new york state defensive player of the year I went to states and sectionals for track, and uh, I just became a remarkable athlete. But God, it's see, see, same brothers and sisters out there. It's God. See, when when man tried stopping me then, God, God said no. Amen. (laughs) No, no, and 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 that's that's where it came to you know and. I was just phenomenal. I, I like I said, my jersey got retired. I got male athlete of the year at the high school, my senior year. You know, I'm fast forwarding it because I live you know, after I drank the bottle of kerosene and that, you know, my father did everything he could to do, you know, that he could to raise us. Right. He he raised us wonderful, man. He uh he gave us everything we wanted. I wanted the Jordans. I wanted this and that. My father did what he did. So I didn't come from a broken home. You know, people say, well, you grew up in a divorced home. It's broken. No. my, You know, I didn't grow up without, you know, I grew up with, well, you know, my father did what he did for us. And and he's an am- he was an amazing man, you know. And uh, so some of you know what happens when you get old and you start to get to the end of your senior year. There's called graduation parties. And this is where my life took a turn. Uh, my senior year, um, my senior football team, we went we, first team ever to go to states. Yes, we ended up losing, but it's the first time in school history that the team ever went to states, the state finals, and we ended up losing. Uh ended up completing my senior year of track and field, setting more records, just like in football. And I was waiting to go on to play uh, college football as a dual athlete, football and track. And I was waiting. I was waiting. I, I couldn't make up my mind, didn't know where I wanted to go. I was waiting to see where my buddies were going because that's what it was about. I was a scared little kid <laughs> wanting to still be around my buddies. So my senior year comes to an end. <clears throat> started going to grad parties. <clears throat> I went to my one buddy's grad party and we're having what happens at grad parties. We all know what happens at graduation parties. Sure do. Lots, <laughs> lots of food, lots of drinking and lots of partying and having fun. Yep. So that that's exactly what was happening there, you know, and uh to find my buddies and i was looking all over for them ended up going out back around the house to the garage and walked in on them all and they were sitting there around a the table with a white substance well i asked them what it was and they said to get out of there that i didn't want none of that well you don't know who i am right i'm jason sefekas i'm the star athlete of the town the, the the big 30 i'm new york state defensive Player of the Year. I want it all you know so uh, i remembered trying it was cocaine it happened to be cocaine and i ended up trying a line of cocaine and it was the best feeling ever ever that i could possibly imagine back then made all my worries go away the minute i did it you know i remember taking it all buying it all off my buddy one of my buddies that was there and uh leaving Salamaca, getting in my car, driving home and turning up my road to go get to my house and not even a hundred feet from my house getting pulled over. And that's where it ended, you know, um, ruined all my scholarships. Oh man. Wow. That's all my, yeah. Ruined my scholarships. only, only division one school that wanted me was UB, but I had to go to bus state for the, uh, for a two-year probation period. But, right, right, again, you don't know who I am. I'm Jason Safakis. I have New York State records. I ha- I'm i New York State Defensive Player of the Year. I'm Big 30 Defensive Player. All these accolades, right? I, I'm not going nowhere. Wow. So, from that day on, it just, you know, the devil had a hold of me. They had a hold of me in my by them shackles and, and chains, the chains of addiction like mm-hmm. I talk about today. Stronghold, the bondage that the enemy had me for 20-plus years, I struggled. You know, so, <clears throat> so I, I didn't go on to play college, said I wasn't doing it. Uh, ended up trying out for, back in the day, they had the Buffalo Destroyers Arena football team out there in Buffalo. They had gladiators. They had ornell dragons. They had all these semi-pro teams. So I was just going around, trying out for all these teams, saying one day I'd make it big and this and that. Partying, getting into the party scene, hanging out with my buddies, and you know, a couple years later, it got worse. Got worse. Why? Because I, uh, you know, started selling. You know, had had no means, you know, I graduated, my dad kicked me out, my grad party. Uh, I remember coming home from my grad party and my father saying, I'll see you at home. And I stayed still at my grad party. It was down at my buddy's camp. And when I came home, all my stuff was out on the porch. And I remember the door being locked and uh, me knocking and asking him what was going on. And he said, you're an adult now. <laughs> you messed up fend for yourself tough love remember, Yeah. yeah yeah was a correctional officer you know so right. you know but he wasn't mean you know he didn't abuse us like i tell a lot of people you know but i remembered loading my little few belongings that i had <clears throat> You know, into my car at the time I had a Lincoln Tom car, so I could fit. <laughs> I could fit my, I could fit my whole house in there if I wanted to. Yeah. The trunk could fit ten bodies in there. <laughs> uh, but I remember loading it up in there, you know, and uh, just thinking, what, what's going on? How am I gonna live? Where am I gonna live? <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, at 18, 19 years old, you know, not knowing what I was going to do. So what did I, the only thing I knew to turn to was, hey, I, I knew how much money my buddy was making by selling cocaine and weed and this and that. I might as well do the exact same thing. So I turned into doing it, turned into hustling, turned into partying and I did it. I bounced all over New York state, the Southern tier, basically. You know, from little towns to like Ellicottville, Franklinville, RK, Jamestown, you know, Erie, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, you know, South Carolina to to the Keys, to down in Tampa and St. Petersburg, Florida, to the to the islands, to the Caribbean, to being in South America, to being in Vegas, to being wherever you could imagine, to being in Canada. <laughs> Wow! I was going wherever there's a party, I was going to taking trips every weekend, every other weekend, once a month at least, out to Vegas and getting the red carpet treatment with my father, you know, uh, because once I became a man and got out there and made money, I got a job to cover it, you know, and my father never knew what was going on at that time, so I was hustling. But I worked construction, I worked landscape, and I worked as a cook, right? Because my father, if you remember, going back, my father and grandfather had a bar restaurant, you know? So I grew up in that that field my whole life. So I knew how to cook, I knew how to manage, I knew how to clean, I knew how to do all that, right? right. The tools that I was equipped with were never going to let me go, go hungry. But uh, the addiction... The addiction took over. And it took over bad. And see today it's hard when I sit here and I talk about it because it's not tears of sadness. It's not it's tears of joy. Because what the Lord has done for me, Praise He can God. do for anybody, right? Amen. And Man, for many, 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 many years, I was just out there ripping and running, ripping and running, getting arrested, overdosing, getting in car accidents, kicking in doors, you name it. I was out there doing it besides, you know, committing murders and, and, and pedophilia like that, and and, be, and abusing women, No, none of that, but besides that, theft, burglary, robbery, you name it, I was doing it. Because the addiction... You know, me selling the drugs. See, I was out in a party out in Ellicottville, New York, and I remembered when I had these drugs. I was bouncing around from, at the time, from Franklinville, Arcade, and Ellicottville. And I remembered one of my buddies that I used to re up from would say, Never take the panties off. <laughs> <laughs> and I never knew what that meant, you know, and I never knew what that meant. And I sure found out years later what it meant. See, I was still hustling in Elikaville, right? Ski country. (laughs) People coming from all sorts of life to just have fun for the weekend. What happens when you want to have fun? You want party supplies. You want party favors. You want to get drunk and just have a good weekend and go back to your your wife and your kids or your husband and your kids, you know, but you're coming down here for a weekend of hell because that's what I've called it. You know, it was just nothing but a weekend of hell every time I was around and out there. But I remembered one time being up at the holiday Valley, there a ski resort party and was a, with a bunch of young ladies and, and buddies of mine. And I remembered the uh, girls I was with, yeah, I was selling cocaine at the time and, um, crack cocaine. I was selling weed and they ended up telling me that I could cook up and that's when I found out about crack cocaine really. You know, I started cooking up crack cocaine and that's when it really, really, really took took a turn. You know, it took a real hard turn. I ended up cooking up cocaine which becomes crack cocaine and ended up getting involved in it, not just selling it. I ended up smoking it, finally. And that's where my buddy meant by never take the panties off. And uh, it got worse. See, my addiction was just cunning, baffling, and powerful from the beginning when I was doing cocaine. Now I'm doing cocaine, drinking, smoking weed, and now crack cocaine. I got horrible. I got horrible. I was doing horrible things to my family. It got so bad that my, my family didn't want nothing to do with me no more. Uh, you know I said sorry too many times you know to to go into my sisters or my my aunts and uncles for parties and everybody just shunning me out and hiding their purses and hiding their wallets and keeping everything on them because I turned into a dope fiend and when I say dope fiend because right heroin and 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 that is dope. People call that dope. Well, that's what their, their choice and their words for dope is. But for me, dope for me was crack cocaine because it made me somebody I wasn't. It made me an animal. It made me, <laughs> it, it made me doing the work, doing the work of the enemy. You know, wow. it just had a hold. It had a stronghold on me for many, 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 many years. And for 20-plus years, I battled, man. I battled in and out. I'm in and out of jails. I'm in and out of rehab, or Not rehabs. I never went, I went to one rehab in my life. You know, but I was in uh, institutions, you know, trying to kill myself. And this is what I'm saying, man. I, like, I had angels. And I, I'm going to get into talking about in my testimonies later on in it how I believe in angels because there are angels out there, man. Uh that's so bad, man. Uh, we had this leather store around and nobody wanted me. I'm homeless. I'm living out of my car to where I can't even afford gas for my car no more. To so do what I had to do to go to this local leather store and only in New York, Allegheny, actually next to Walmart at the time, it was a poor cow leather store. And I remembered walking in there and asking them, they had any leather belts and they said yeah what are you looking for we got anything from this belt to this belt I said I want your biggest and thickest and most expensive belt you have and he said well you could have this one right here for a hundred and something dollars <laughs> so give me it. I want it he said you know I'm in there in my jumpsuits and my timberlands and Looking like a home. What, what do I want a leather belt for? Well, bought the leather belt and went back to my buddy's house where I was staying out in Franklinville at the time, and ended up partying and throwing a party and had people over, and I remembered taking the belt and just wanting to end my life, mm. you know. So I told everybody at the party that I'd be back. And I didn't plan on coming back. So I stepped outside and I went into into the back, left back part of we were partying. We lived in a mobile home park out there in Franklinville. That I walked out there and jumped up into the climbed up into the tree, pulled my belt out, wrapped it around the tree, and proceeded to wrap it around my neck. And I remembered sitting there asking why, why me? And I remember just jumping and sitting there fighting for breath, regretting that I just jumped out of a tree with a powder on the back. (sighs) Begging and pleading in my mind because I couldn't talk, but I was asking for help. That I was sorry. And the next thing you know, I'm on the ground. Not knowing how, how I'm laying on the ground, gasping for air, wondering how this is happening. See, God can do anything. Amen. See, so I, I'm laying there gasping for air. felt like my eyes were popping out of my head. Once I came to, took the belt off my neck, and climbed the tree again to grab the other piece of the belt to look at it because I'm like, wait, what happened? There's nobody out here, and it looked like somebody had took a pair of scissors and just cut it straight across. Wow. And I didn't know then. I didn't know then that my heavenly father was protecting me even then. Yeah. See, because I was still blinded by the drugs and partying. So, you know, I couldn't kill myself. I just tried. So I went back in and partied like nothing happened. You know, had my hoodie on, it was cold out, almost winter. You know, acted like nothing had happened. So many years go on, I'm doing the same thing, partying. I moved back home. You know, I begged and pleaded my dad, my father, my grandfather, my father to help me out. That I, I'm willing to do whatever I got to do to get away from what I'm doing out here in these towns and give me a shot. So they were willing to put me back to work for them, you know, at the restaurant and being a cook and, this and that. So I moved back home, and I, I'm living a life. I, I'm working again. I'm drinking, but not hardly drinking. I'm not doing drugs, right? I, I didn't need to go to rehab, right? I'm, 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 I'm good. You know, I'm just doing drugs here and there, not not every day like I was, right? To to meet a, a a woman that I I was with for 11 years, almost 11 years. I had a young boy. And his name was Blake, and uh, raised him. You know, I ended up meeting this girl at a bar, and we ended up living together for a long time, and being, you know, getting a house, and and work in construction, and I'm I'm doing drugs here. and I said, "What happens? She's a partier, I'm a partier, Find out later. Years go by. We start partying again." Started getting into it again, started getting into the, oh, I can just use it on weekends to, I'll do it every other day to doing it back to doing it every day. To one night going out to the bar and and getting into it with her. I got into it bad with her and I went outside and she ran me over with her car three times. She ran me over, then reversed it, ran me over and reversed, ran me over again. <sighs> My buddies come flying out of the bar to pick me up and throw me into the car. And she's saying he's all right, that I'll just take him home. And they're like, No, I'll take him to the hospital. And I remembered getting home and I was fine once I got home. To getting into it with her so bad and 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 just regretting my life again, to just thinking my life was hell, to going back down that path again, to saying, waiting for her to fall asleep. And she called the cops on me and I had no idea she called the cops on me and I see them pulling up. We lived in the country and I see a bunch of cops pulling up to. Saying I'm not going back to jail, I'm not doing this life no more to wrapping a sheet around my neck and jumping off the balcony in our house to the cops not being able to get into the house. To the same thing again, but again and pleading and, and asking for forgiveness again. To the sheet just. that must have not have tied it tight enough. I don't know. To, wow. to shortly being on the ground again, right, and, and and getting picked up by the cops once they got into the house, taking me to the local jail or hospital because I said if I went to jail, I was going to kill myself. That I didn't want to live no more to go and getting evaluated at WCA hospital in Jamestown to getting admitted into, which is a psychiatric facility out there called Jones Hill to being in there and doctors just looking at me and going through my evaluations and being like, what are you in here for? So (laughs) try hanging myself. I said, these people need to be in here. The one doctor that was working with me was like, you have a call on your life, young man. You need to straighten up. And I'm like, I don't want to hear this. This nonsense here, you know. I, I didn't. I didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to hear it.
0: Was that the first time that somebody said something like that to you, that there was a call yeah. on your life? Huh? Was that the first time that somebody had said something like that to you, that there was a call on yeah. your life?
1: Yeah. That was the first time. Wow. That the first time it happened. Because then I'm going to talk some more about how oh, you got to call on your life, young man. I started hearing it from that day on. You know, so years go by. I'm, I'm, you know, doing what I'm doing. I end up, you know, in and out of jail. You know, county jails. I'm in and out of every county jail down here in the southern tier. From Erie County to, you know, get put in holding cells to Chautauqua to Cattaraugus County to just... Being a big disappointment to my family, you know, and especially my father, you know, having friends and our family and law enforcement, and just, just being a big disappointment to everyone, you know. So, you know, years go by. And I end up leaving this young lady that I was with for 11 years. I want to get my life on track. You know, I'm done. I don't want to party done a, you know, same thing. She's sitting there telling me she's tired and she's cheating. It's just, you know, fire and ice. She's just, it's not working. So one day I just packed up my bags and took off and packed up, left everything behind and and went down to South Carolina and ended up sitting down there and get my life back on track. Roofing with my brother-in-law at the time on we're roofing, we're making good money. And, you know, I come back up. I'm down there for months and months and months, almost a year and I finally get, get a paper in the mail. I'm like, what's this paper? All right, I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. So years into my addiction, before I went down there to South Carolina, when I left my, uh, I left uh, the girl I was with for 11 years. I tried staying around for a little bit, but what happened was I was still partying, right? I left her. I was depressed. I kept doing drugs. I was going all over the, uh, the nation with my father, partying from Florida to the Florida Keys to Las Vegas to taking trips to, you know, national championship games in Seattle and And this stadium and that stadium going to see football teams and just my father was single, you know, and his kids were raised. He didn't have to worry about that. Had a good retirement. He could go do it. So I was right behind him, his right hand man, and we were doing this thing Uh, to coming back uh, the year the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks played each other in the NFC championship game. Out in Seattle, I took my father out there. It was one of the things on his bucket list. And I remember coming back and I had a bunch of drugs because weed out there was legal. <laughs> in Washington. Coming back to throwing a party and just not feeling right. My stomach just turned not knowing why my stomach and why this voice in my head is telling me to get out of here, get out of here, get out. To leave in, but to return because I had so much drugs on me and I just wanted to party. But yet something just took me out of that house. Now what's bringing me back? The enemy was bringing me back. See, mm-hmm. I ended up getting jumped by 10 guys that night. Wow. Beaten so badly. That I had to jump out of a, a window that was closed. To my back looking like somebody took a concrete rake right down my back. To running down the road and just Timberlands and my underwear because they'd ripped my clothes off. Just stomping me in the corner. And I remembered when they were stomping me in the corner, it went blank. I just seen a bright light and I heard Jason get off. And I just remembered my eyes opening and just getting kicked and punched. And I seen a window and I just went through this window and these guys are chasing me down this road and I'm running for my life <sighs> to getting home and, you know, to my father's place. and. He's like, what the heck happened to you? And I'm like he's like, We need to go to the hospital. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm not doing this. The months going by. To him finally taking me down to the local PD who he, he went down there every day. He was friends with this local seller maker P D cops and taking me down. And there was a one officer that he he liked a lot and they hung out and they chit-chatted all the time and she ended up telling me she's like will you please just go and get her you know your face looked at and just make a report just so it's on file in case something happens and I'm like I don't know and she's like please just do it and I'm like you know what if it shuts you up I'll go do it so I proceeded to go to Olean general hospital with my father I ended up going to the emergency room to finding out it's, it's, it's snow's coming down, you know, it's middle winter. And like I said, I'm running down the street in my underwear. Months before that, getting, you know, fighting for my life. And uh, I in only in general, and we go in and we see them, and they do blood tests and this and that. And they're wanting to mercy fight me. See, I had an affection and my face, through my whole body, every bone in my face was shattered besides my jaw. And they couldn't understand that how my jaw was intact. See my cheekbones, eye sockets and foreheads, I had plates all through my face, teeth knocked out. To wanting the mercy for me, like I said, and the storms just so bad, they can't. To putting me in an ambulance and to get me out to ECMC in Buffalo, to try and, trying to get me in an uh, ambulance to get out there, and the weather's just too bad. See, the enemy was trying to take me out, because even the hospital couldn't even get me to where I had to be. See, man couldn't even get me to where I had to be. So they bring me back to OE in general where I had to stay there until the weather broke so they could get me out to ECMC where they had to do emergency surgery on my face. See, there's so much to my testimony. And I know we all have testimonies, but you know, as a young kid drinking a bottle of kerosene and dying seven times you know, at seven years old and being in ICU for seven months oh, to get my face kicked in. There's so much. Talk, the overdoses, the car accidents where I'm driving home and I blacked out at the wheel and I woke up and I'm literally a paper thin looking out my window and there's a telephone pole right outside my driver's side window. Thank you, Jesus, for so they did emergency surgery on me ended up putting the plates in me to coming back home to work in construction ended up falling off a pick line pick i was doing roofs at the resort up there at holly mile i ended up Falling off a ladder 40-something feet up and landed on my feet and went back to only in general and they're telling me that it's just a sprain to take 10 days off. <laughs> so I took 10 days off and went back and it looked like I had a volleyball or soccer ball in my kneecap. Man. So finally going and getting an MRI, uh, MRI done and stuff, See, so come to find out i had a break my kneecap had broken straight across they don't understand how i was roofing how i was carrying shingles up a roof how i was doing any of this with a broken kneecap i don't either. i guess jesus does right yeah oh, God, but oh. God. Uh, so i end up uh, breaking my kneecap and finding out so I was off work for months, six, seven, eight months goes by, I go back to get cleared, to go back to work, and my knee still swelled up, still looked like there was a baseball on it, like a softball on there. And they're like, it's just built up fluid from the break. We'll drain your knee. And that was the first time that ever happened to me. Stick a big old needle in your knee and <laughs> – So they drained it, and from only into Salomeca, I left the hospital, and I didn't even make it back home yet, and they were calling, asking where I was, and come to find out, they wanted me to pull over, they wanted to send an ambulance, and all this and that, I said, I'm not quite home, I'll just turn around, and we'll come back to them waiting outside the hospital with a wheelchair, and doctors, and nurses, to finding out that I had a staph infection, that they were thinking about amputating my leg off. The wow. Infection is this bad. So I remember just praying, see, I, I'm a Catholic at this time. I'm not a Christian. You know, my my father's Catholic. We don't go to church. We don't We do not do what people say they do, this and that. It's just, I'm Greek. I'm from Greece, and we're Roman Catholic, and, and this is this, and this is that, and that's how it is, and you know, I just remembered praying and, and asking the Lord to protect me and because I've heard my, my, my great aunt praying when I was a young kid. So I knew, you know, that there was something out there. I knew that there was something that they called God, but it, I'd never seen him. So I, I didn't want to fully surrender and believe that there was a God. So what happened? I sat home for six months and the infection was so bad that I had to have a pick line in my arm and I had to take antibiotics for my infection for six months, three times a day at home. I had a nurse come and hook me up, but it was so bad and so riddled through my body that they, that they gave me liquid morphine. And every other drug you could imagine I was getting. So what happened? It cleared to go back. Eventually, long story short, I ended up keeping my leg, this and that. They don't have to do nothing. You know, going back for tests, and everything's checking out. Everything, thank you, Jesus, is checked out. So I go back to work, and I start working again. But what happened? I got so immune and addicted to liquid morphine, Mm -hmm. and every other pill they were jamming down my throat when the home nurse was home- healthcare nurse was there. I became addicted again, right?
2: Yeah.
1: So it was just crazy. So eventually I ended up just packing up my bags and going, like I said, down to South Carolina to work with my brother-in-law. to find making good money and not being around none of my friends, not being around eating and used drugs. So it was a good thing. Work my butt off, make good money. And just, you know, lived the life. And that's what we were doing for many months down there. And I remembered getting a paper in the mail from the enemy because it was court subpoena. It was the county, Cattaraugus County, subpoena, subpoena me to court to come back to testify against the guys that jumped me. And I remembered begging and pleading. I didn't want to come back because I already knew what was going to happen. So my father flew me out of Myrtle Beach, private job, flew me down back home, landed not in the Niagara, Niagara International Airport, not Buffalo International, Niagara. I go to Corinth, testify, get my truck, loaded up to go back down to Myrtle Beach, had my truck all loaded up, stopped at my buddy's bar on the way out of town. <laughs> and he said, hey, where are you going? I said, I'm leaving, going back down to South Carolina. I said, why don't you come back here for a minute? Hang out for a minute. <laughs> Where's some stick? So yeah, I got a few minutes before I got head out. Went back there. What's back there? Some cocaine and crack cocaine. <laughs> Long story short, I never ever made it back to South Carolina. Clothes of mine, things of mine down there. My buddy, my brother-in-law, my buddy that lived down there were holding my things because I kept telling them, yeah, I'll be back down to get it. I'll be back down to work. I'll be back down. I'll be back down. I'll be back down. And same thing. They got sick of hearing it because I kept saying it every week, every month, every three months. A month goes by. Another month goes by. I keep telling them, yeah, same as stuff. I'll be down to get it. In all reality, I didn't have no intentions of going down to get it because I couldn't leave the drug behind. All this stuff happening. To be in a hopeless dope team, right? Like my paper, some of you got on, get on my broken and betrayed ministry page from dope to nope. Because that's what I say today, no, nope, to dope. To just living a life of destruction, to being homeless, to just back in and out of jail again. Embarrassing my father and him losing friends because of me, because all of his buddies are cops and correctional officers and, and this and that to him losing friends because of me. But he stuck by my side. He never gave up on me. To years going by, I was just the same old, same old. I won't do it again, Dad. Please. Please. Bail me out of jail. To bail me out of jail every other day, every other week. Bail me out of jail. To just. A repeat of every day. Oh, yeah. Every day my dogs are going crazy. Oh so every day day in and day out just living this path of destruction because like I said the enemy just had me bound, bonded by these shackles. Just had me in these chains like straight to the chains of addiction to just years and years of it. So finally, like I get into now and say that the police work for God. And that's what happened. See, I was going to South America and taking cruises and, and doing what I had to do. to to get high and going on vacation with my father to, to him eventually finding out why I'm going on cruises to Jamaica and why I want to take a cruise to Belize, South America. So I could bring back cocaine. So I could bring back weed from Jamaica to come back and hanging out. And one day with my girlfriend at the time, I just didn't feel right. Pulled into a gas station and I'm like, wait, there's undercover cops around us. They're coming for me. And she says, No, you're just crazy. You're just you're just high. You're just delusional. You're 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 lacking sleep and i'm like no they're coming for me so eventually that's what happened to them pulling me over and it was the southern tier drug task force it was the dea it was the u.s marshals see they were investigating me for many 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 years and i remembered when i was getting pulled over years ago and in and out getting possession charges and these guys always saying jason you have a call on your life (laughs) here we go after the doctor even to the southern tier drug task force and the local sheriff saying jason you're better than this to finally not being able to be bailed out gee wasn't county jail no more it's federal prison There was no bailing me out. Father didn't have millions of dollars to bail me out. He was a retired state correctional officer living on a pension that was a a couple thousand dollars a month. Had no way of bailing me out. But come to find out, he was a part of it. Because, see, I remember when they came to the house after I got released see they pulled me over with my girlfriend at the time and they did an interview with her I said what's going on with me and what's going on with her I said she didn't do nothing she doesn't know what's going on it isn't her it's all me they're like, well, you're going to jail for a long time. So I remember sitting there at County Cat, Cat County Jail and all these cops. And I'm talking to these people. They're interviewing me. They're laughing. They're giggling. They're like, we finally got them to taking me to get arraigned on a sale charge. That's what they were getting me with at, at this time, uh, a sale charge. That was a $200,000 bond. My life's over. I don't got $200,000 to bail me out of jail. (sighs) To the cops laughing on the way back to the jail. So I remember getting back, acting up so I could go to solitary confinement because I didn't want to be around nobody. And I remembered laying there in my cell and just asking again, why? Why me? If there's a God, why? Why is this happening to me? To waking up the next morning, crying myself to sleep and waking up the next morning and having a phone call and that's a lawyer, court-appointed lawyer, telling me to pack my stuff up that I'll be out by four o'clock. And I'm like, wait, what? Wait, what? I'm looking at a long time. And it went from being a $200,000 bail to looking at many, many, many years in prison to I'm being released. Well, yeah, see, because the, uh, the lawyer said he asked for uh, the, this wiretaps and all this other stuff that they had on me and blah, 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 and this and that, and they failed to provide my lawyer with it, so he got me out, right? So I get out, and I go home, and I'm begging, and I'm pleading, and I'm asking my dad for forgiveness, and I'm telling him, like, once again, for the 955th millionth time that I'm sorry, I'm sorry I embarrassed them. I'm sorry that I let them down. To hearing the next morning as there's a knock on the door and it's the U.S. Marshals and DEA and Southern Tier Drug Task Force. And they're there to take me away. And I remembered walking out, getting ready to walk out the door, you know, looking at my dad, and I'm like, why? And him saying I'm tired, too. See, my dad was tired. Tired of laying, laying awake every night, worrying if he was going to get a phone call. And that phone call saying that I was dead, or that I was locked up again. So he had enough. So I ended up going, getting federal charges pressed on me (sighs) to going away and thinking once again, here we go. I have no lawyer. Probably gonna get a court appointed lawyer, public pretenders as I call them. Never had a public pretender. I did did on the one charge where where my bail was 200000 and I was facing sale charges, I was a court appointed and that was an angel to coming across another angel because I had my, my bank accounts were seized, my funds, my bank accounts, everything. I couldn't get nothing. And here I'm sitting behind jail in Niagara, Niagara County Correctional Facility waiting to go away. So before I go away, I'm going to meet my court-appointed lawyer. So I'm meeting. I, I, I knew some of the guys that were locked up there. And, uh, you know, I partied out in Niagara County, Erie County, Chautauqua. I have partied all over here. So I knew a lot of people. To go in, waking up. Mr. Safakis, you have your lawyer appointment. Get ready. So I'd have to put my stripes on, go down to the tank, wait to go downtown to the federal building to meet my court-appointed lawyer. To meet a woman by the name of Cheryl Myers Booth. To her saying to me, I'm saying to her, I have no money. She says, yeah, I know. I said, "Can't pay you." She says, "I know. I already know. God told me to, to take your case." I said, "Wait, what?" She said, "Yeah, I'm doing a pro bono. See, I'm a lawyer. I have to do a pro bono case once a year, and the Lord told me to take your case. I see. I I came across your file, and the Lord was speaking to me and take told me to take your 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 case." Wow. I said, get out of here. She's like, no, can I say something? Hopefully I don't offend you. I said, go right ahead, whatever. I've heard it all now. She says, I consider you my little brother. I said, wait, what? Like, I'm looking at this woman like she's a whack job. <laughs> and she said, no. You need help. So I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know. It's like, no, the Lord told me to take your case, that here we go, ready for it, that you need help, that you have a call on your life. Oh. I said, yeah, I've heard that about three or four times already in my lifetime. It doesn't surprise me to hear it again. All right, what I got to do? Sign this paper, sign that paper, sign this paper, sign that paper. And I wait down in the tank to go back to Niagara County Correctional Facility. And I'm waiting to get back to tell all my buddies that yeah, it's, I'm looking at a lot of time here. That I'm I'm done this and that to getting back and getting back up on the unit. I was at I was on Pod One at higher County Correctional Facility. You know, this isn't fake. You can look me up. You can Google it. You can do whatever you want. I call the jail. They'll tell you. Uh, to getting back and knowing people that were on my unit that were facing federal charges to people that were just in there, you know, local peddlers that were getting out next week or getting out in the month or whatever. To a couple of my buddies saying, so who, what happened? I said, I went and met this lawyer and yeah, it's a public pretender, I'm done. They're like, yeah, well, what, what's his name? I said, it ain't a guy, it's a girl, it's a woman. They're like, "What what's her name? And I said her name. And it was like, you thought the Buffalo Bills had won the Super Bowl. Everybody started jumping around, parading. It was crazy. They're like, you're going home. I'm like, wait, what? They're like, you got the best lawyer in the nation in this kind of charge, blah, blah, (laughs) blah. They're like, you're going home. I said, no, whatever. Okay, I heard this before, too they're like, how'd you get it? I said, I don't know. She said something about some pro bono. And they're like, wait, what? (laughs) You got her for free. And then it's just rambling on from there and there, you know, and, you know, so, you know, many years go by and I'm trying to fight this case. And you know, not knowing where I'm ending up 3 o'clock in the morning, getting transferred to this prison, to that prison, to, you know, to coming back to Niagara County for when I had court, you know, to being caught. And the government shutdown, 2016, 2017, I got caught and the government shutdown. Nobody's moving nowhere. And I'm back in Niagara County Correctional Facility. And I'm there for 18 months. Well, I'm there for 18 months. This is another testimony. itself. So. so I'm in Niagara County and this government shut down. And I'm like, you know, I might as well get my life together. I'm, I'm, I'm close to home. My father can come visit me. My family can come visit me you know, I'm lucky right now, you know, that's one thing. I'm not in New Mexico in a federal prison right now. I'm not down in, back in Ohio where they got to drive four hours or six hours to come see me. I'm right here an hour and a half, two hours, two hours and 15 minutes from home. So I'm like, you know, enough's enough. See, when I was in before, I was, I was still being a funny bunny, as I call it. And I was still acting up. I was still doing things I shouldn't have been doing when I was locked up. But see, January 7th, or January 4th, 2018, was when I decided enough was enough. See, I went back. I, I, I got My lawyer got me into a rehab, completed a rehab program, Stutzman's. And Fourness Avenue in Buffalo, I ended up going back to uh, prison, but I ended up relapsing. So on January fourth, two thousand eighteen, was my last time I ever drank or drug. Still to this day, I got almost six years clean. And when I went in there, I was DT and I was withdrawing, I was shaking, I was pooping myself, I was peeing myself, I was naked, I was sweating, I was DT, thought I was going to die. And I remembered laying on the floor and this is my, like I said, my testimony and, and people sometimes look at me weird because when I tell them this, they look at me with a side eye and I tell them on January 7th, 2018, three days after I quit using going through DTs and withdrawals, I was laying naked on my jail cell floor, begging for forgiveness, begging for forgiveness and for someone to help me, that I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was done. I'd hit rock bottom. I just wanted to be done. And I seen a bright light. And it reached down, and it was the spirit of the Lord's hand, arm reaching out for me. And I tell everybody it was him reaching out for me. And I grabbed a hold of that hand, and I haven't let go since.
0: Praise God.
1: But from that day on, my life totally changed. See, I, like I said, I was using still. I was pretending. I was still doing this. I was still doing that. But when I did that, when I cried out and begged for forgiveness, see, I thought our Heavenly Father lost me. But no, he didn't. See, I gave up on him. He didn't give up on me. Right. Right. He didn't give up on me. I gave up on him. So, you know, I started living this clean life behind bars, and, you know, they, they had these programs. Yeah, I was a federal inmate, so I had to enroll in a drug program, and at the time, uh, Niagara County was one of the f- only four jails, prisons in the whole country that took the federal grant money for drug programs. So Niagara County ended up having this program called Best South and North Point come into the the unit and it was on pod one and it was a drug unit. And I get enrolled in this program and I start working at it, you know, and I'm, I'm doing this program, you know, they're teaching you the steps of recovery of NA and AA, you know, these rooms, these programs that still are out there today, right? So I'm sitting there playing cards one day and this guy we call Buddha, always there with his bible marking he had markings all through his bibles and this and that and i remembered our first encounter because he walked up to me and he said i said where are you going again church he said no actually i just got back from church you need to start going young man you have a call on your life I said, don't tell me something i already heard 50 <laughs> times my guy I said, You ain't the only one that's telling me. Want me to tell you the first time it happened, I was locked up in this mental institution, and his doctor told me it. To, to these Southern Tier Drug Task Force people telling me it. To, to my lawyer telling me it. To now you telling me it. I said, I know, I've heard it. I've heard it. To, you know, just going through the, the routine of being locked up, you know. Every day, you know, picking up the phone, calling my father, you know, because what happened when I went away? Everybody gave up on me, right? My homies, my my best friends, my gang members, my my dogs, my ride or dies—they weren't there for me no more, right? Where are my ride or dies now? Only ride or die that was there for me and has been there with me the whole time was my was my earthly and my heavenly father.
2: Right?
1: They never gave up on me. They stayed by me the whole time, so I'm in I'm in this NCCF, Niagara County Correctional Facility, you know, because like I guess I came back, got caught in a government shutdown, and I'm like, this stinks, because county jail stinks compared to being away in federal prison. <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but it does. So you know, sitting there just living the life. You know, making commissary being a store—you know—to making money. I was making lots of money behind bars, doing football, football pools, and all the corrupt things you could imagine were still happening behind and behind bars. But, comes goes by. What is it? The end of eighteen? Yeah, about that. December 18th, to meet uh, the chaplain, Alex True. Google him, too. people out there listening don't believe me, <laughs> Alex True was a chaplain in the Niagara County Correctional Facility. I remember he'd come in on the pod unit and run a Bible study, and he came up to me the one day, and he you didn't know what I'm going to say man, why don't you come to Bible study? You have a what on your life? <laughs> a car on your life. I wish you would understand and get revelation of it. And I said, yeah, you and Buddha are in cahoots, aren't you? <laughs> you working together. <laughs> you guys are a great team. Because see, Buddha went to uh, church. He went to a Bible study. He went to all that, right? And uh, I said, uh, you know, because growing up, you know, as a as a Catholic and, seeing things and experiencing things that 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 deterred me from going to church from a young boy and my friends and women seeing things happen to us and that you're a chaplain right well how come a chaplain or pastor this or that person i'm supposed to give my life to but yet you're doing things to us young boys and, and and women uh, I, I ain't I ain't about that. And then he hit me over the head. He said, look at that guard over there. You can't stand him, can you? He said, no, he's a crooked correctional officer. He said, but your dad was one, right? I said, yeah, you know that. You've got my file, you know, and my dad was a correctional officer. He's like, but he wasn't a bad one, was he? I said, no. And he left it at that. So he leaves, this is a Thursday, so I go to my cell, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, I'm I'm up all night, I'm tossing and turning, I'm like, what, this this chaplain had the nerve to bring my dad up and compare him to these, these pastors and these priests and preachers that are touching little kids and touching my friends and my blah, blah. he he compared my father to him i'm sitting there all night tossing and turning and light bulb it was like a light switch went off i'm like you know what i can't wait next thing you know i can't wait for thursday to get here and this is friday saturday the next day two days later i'm wanting thursday to hurry up and get here so i can talk to this chaplain now it's true so, you know, I'm talking to my dad and you know he's asking me how things are going off through my, my stay. I'm talking I call my dad fifty times a day. He picked the phone up. So following so Thursday comes around, uh chaplain Alex School comes in and I said, Chaplain, can I talk with you? He said, Yeah. I said uh I wanna get over the world. I said, What? I said, Yeah. You're right. My dad is a wonderful man. And you're right. Not all pastors, not all preachers, not all ministers, all these people. They're not all bad. You're right. Cause see, he had me over the head. He helped me over to head good with the correctional officer thing. See, God was using him in a mighty way. Right. Like, hey. uh-huh. Cause my dad meant the world me. So he said, praise God. So he gave me an NIV King James version of the Bible. You know, I started this thing you know, sat in Bible study. I didn't have to talk because I was nervous. And he said, just sit here for a couple of weeks until you feel comfortable and feel led. And uh, I remember taking the King James Version after that Thursday Bible study up into my cell, skimming through it. And I'm like, what the heck is this? <laughs> it's a bunch of gibberish. I can't read this. See, I barely graduated high school. The only reason I graduated because I was a star athlete, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, So I'm sitting here barely getting through high school, and now you got this King James NIV version of the Bible in front of me that I have no idea how to even read this. It's just like different language to, to getting ran down. Ran down memes myself. See, I was a federal inmate in county jail with a lot of things in county jail, so they thought I was in there peddling drugs or being crooked, which I wasn't. I used to, but I turned from them wicked ways, right? Right. I didn't mean that for evil. God finally turned for good for me on that part. So you know, I'm living this life, and uh, before the next Thursday came up, they raided my cell and. I had a few scriptures, not knowing what I did in there, highlighted, and not knew, not knowing what I was doing, but I was just, whatever, flowing with the Spirit. At that time, I didn't know that's what it was, but today I know that the Spirit was guiding me on these scriptures because nobody was in there with me, to, the, to them running down on my cell and tearing my Bible up, stomping it, ripping my pages out, laughing at it. Wow to going back the next Thursday to the chaplain house, to throwing my ripped Bible at him and telling him I'm done. Where's your God? Your so-called God that was supposed to protect me. He left these guys in my cell and they're ripping my Bible up, this and that. And not wanting to hear it, To eventually, you know, Chaplain calming me down and he's like, we'll take care of that. We'll take care of that. So me sitting here right now in front of me, having my leather NLT gift Bible. Right? He gave me an NLT gift Bible with a leather case to it. Why? So the COs, when they ran down, I'll get into this, couldn't rip the front of my Bible anymore. And this Bible is still stamped from the prison book project in Shapes Sharps, Florida. So that's where it came from. And uh, so I remember going, you know, him calming me down, doing Bible study, him giving me NLT version, the NLT version, but giving me more King James version. And I remembered them ripping up every. Bible that they could rip up. And I would always hide this Bible because it meant the world to me. I'd keep it in my buddy's cell. to one 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 week going by. Finally, I'll, I'll get in that. So so <laughs> I remember I'm gonna backtrack a little bit because it is a part of my testimony. So when I, I Waited on that Thursday for Pat, uh, Chaplain Alex True to come in and, and me give my life, right, as a newborn new Christian again, right? Reborn again Christian. That's what I called myself, right? <laughs> Praise God, right? Devoted myself to God and, and this Christian walk. And I remembered I was so excited when we got done with Bible study. Couldn't wait to get to the phone because guess what I was doing? Picking that phone up to tell my father, who was a Catholic, <laughs> that I was a reborn-again Christian. So he picks up the phone. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Somebody's excited. What's going on? You hit the lottery in there? <laughs> said, no, something way better than the lottery. He said, what's that? He said, I'm a reborn-again Christian. Click.
0: <laughs> oh, man.
1: Hung the phone up. Now, see, some of you, if you remember me saying, I talked to my dad. I could talk to my dad 50 times a day, he would answer. That day on, three months went by. Every day I'd wake up, get down with breakfast, go to the phone, call my dad, no answer. Come on. Lunchtime. Call my dad, no answer. Dinner time, no answer. Call him before bed, no answer. To see I was running in my cell, ripping my Bible up. Bible after Bible, ripping my Bible up to giving my chaplain heck and hell for, for this God not protecting me, right? He's a God. Why is my dad not answering me? Why is he not protecting me from these correctional officers? Why am I going to the hall? Because I believe in a God. Why is all this stuff happening to me? To finally, one morning, one night before lockup, forgetting to put my good Bible in my buddy cell before lockup. To getting ran down in the morning, and them coming in and me being in handcuffs, because that's what they do, they'll put you in the handcuffs so they can go through your room or your cell and See, when I got this Bible, it had a postcard from the prison, too, and I put it on my shelf, my one shelf that I had in my cell, and it said, Jesus will forgive you. And I looked at that card every morning, every night I went to bed, I prayed to that card because... I caused a lot of hell and destruction out there for twenty plus years, not just on my family's life, not just on my life, but on everybody else's life. The families that I that the enemy used me for to ruin. To the next morning, not forget to forget about my Bible. To them running in and handcuffing me and being so hurt because I knew my Bible was there I knew they were gonna find it. To that one guard going straight for my Bible. And I remembered that he yelling out, hey, and him looking at me as he got ready to tear my pages out. And I said, can I give you something? And he said, sure. And they brought me back. And I was standing by the door. And I remembered it as it was yesterday, them taking me back in and they asked what I wanted. And I said, can you hand me that? And the one CEO gave it to me and put it in my hand. and. I turned and I handed it to the CEO that ripped my Bible up time after time after time. And he said, what is this? I said, read it out loud. And he said, Jesus will forgive me. And I said, he'll forgive you for all them times you beat me down in this. Uh, all the times you've ripped my Bible up, he will forgive you. He didn't read my Bible. He threw it on the ground. And from that day on, he never messed with me again. Wow. He never ran in on my cell again. And I remember that night so, was in such relief that I had my Bible. And I sit here today, and my, my, my wife today keeps it on Fort Knox. She keeps it locked down. I'll get into that. Um, And I remembered laying there that night and I got up out of my bed, and I got on my hands and knees and I prayed first time. I said, Lord, please, please give me my father back. See, my father was my lifeline but I didn't know that my heavenly father meant just as much as my earthly father. So that night I sat there crying myself to sleep because I knew what I was doing the next morning after breakfast, I knew I was gonna call my dad and there wasn't gonna be no answer. So after chow in the morning, I did the shame, walk of shame over to the phone booth to the area it off and you have a collect call from an inmate at iron county correctional facility to accept charges press one and and accept it and i got i remember getting so excited i'm like dad 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 he's like no let me speak son he said see son i let the enemy win i said what do you mean dad he said you're just gonna sit here for a minute and listen See, for 20 plus years you know we didn't go to church we didn't pray i said yeah that i know i was out there causing like, i know that he said but what you don't know is that for 20 plus years every night i laid my head down on my pillow to go to sleep i prayed to god that he would give my son back and if it's christian christine knees he says or being a Christian or a reborn again Christian, then I support it. And I remember praising God and saying thank you, Jesus, looking up right there as I had the phone in my hand saying thank you, Lord.
0: Hallelujah.
1: <sighs> to sitting there with a second wind. You know, I'm doing this program. I'm I'm bad because I'm eating ramen noodles, you know, I gained weight when I I, I went in 155 pounds. To weighing two hundred and thirty pounds, two hundred and forty pounds, like I am now, to to getting back, I was I was like you know had that second win. I'm at two hundred and forty six pounds. I'm like you know, so I started working out. I started running. I'm I'm doing walks on the pod. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm getting down to like two hundred pounds, and I'm like yeah. And then I get a call from a visit from my lawyer and saying I have court May 9th. 2019, that I had court. So I remember, it was March 17th, March 19th, it was two days after St. Patty's Day, I always remember that day. I remember waking up that morning, you know, I completed all these programs and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, right? I got this new wind, this second wind in me. You know, my father's accepting me again. You know, he accepted my apology. My sisters, you know, are loving me. My my family's loving me again. I'm writing, you know, forgiveness letters and you know, I'm writing all these letters to people and, and families that I offended, that I hurt, you know, and I'm just doing this thing called life again, right? And uh My lawyer gives me the news that I'm going to court May 9th. Everybody on the pod units, like, you're getting out. You got your time served. You're getting out. So I remember March 19th, I woke up that morning, I'm like, yeah, I got a few months and I'm going to start pushing the weights, pushing my walking, getting down there. So I'm walking my route every morning. I'd stop by myself, do my dips, do my push-ups, walk out, walk around the, the the pod unit again. And I remembered stopping down by the phone area where the OGs were. And I remembered saying to them, hey, you guys said I'm getting out, right? They're like, you're getting out, brother. You're getting out. Yeah, but just stay at- Stay on the straight and narrow the rest of the time. Don't do nothing foolish. You're going to get out of here. I said, You know what, though? I've been studying the federal guidelines. I had the federal guideline book in my uh, penal code law book in my uh, cell that I had my father purchase for me. And I was sitting there studying the laws, studying, you know, traffic laws, you know. invasion of privacy illegal searches this and that i'm like you know when i get out i'm not gonna do drugs you're right but guess what i'm gonna sell drugs though see why because i still had an addiction for money right i put the drugs down what what happened i was still thinking about that money but the minute i said that I'm in the hospital. I'm in the hospital. I'm sitting here. I'm hearing doctors saying one, two, three, clear. Turn it off. And there's nurses running around. There's doctors running around. I look and there's a spirit of the Lord next to me. And I'm asking him what's going on. And he's giving me one word answers. Patience. Obedience. Stillness. Faithfulness. still. I'm like, what is going on here? To the doctors walking away and taking their mask down and throwing their gloves in the garbage to looking over. And it's me. They were, they were hitting me with the paddles. See, I had an out-of-body, like I said, experience. And I was there with the Spirit of the Lord. And it's my testimony. And I just started sharing this. Since I've been home, I've never really shared about it until the last probably three months I've been sharing my testimony. I've been sharing it now because the Spirit of the Lord has given me the release to do it. See, I didn't know it was me at first, and I'm sitting there with the Spirit of the Lord, and I'm asking him what's going on, and he's just telling me patience, patience, faithfulness, obedience, stillness. These are all words that today are big in my Christian walk and mean the world to me. But when the, the doctors did all that, I remembered it was like a documentary and we followed the one doctor and he walked into this room and he was sitting at this desk and he was sitting there shaking his head and picks up the phone, he's dialing a number. So this is David Sfakis. So We think we have your son here. Uh, dad, sorry, been pronounced dad, 45 minutes now, can't bring him back. And it's crazy because I'll get into it because I, had, my father didn't know that I knew this and he didn't know that I had this experience. You know, he eventually found out, but so, uh, they go back in, the doctor goes back into where my body was laying. And the nurse is with them. And I remembered sitting there and begging and pleading the Lord to bring me back. And the doctor just grabbing the sheet and getting closer and closer oh, to pulling it up over my head. And he got by my nose and I was just begging and I was pleading the spirit of the Lord to do whatever he had to do with to me back. To the machine that I once was hooked up to, beeping, and the doctor stopped, and the nurse, the doctor stopped, and then he went to go and pull the sheet rust way over my head, and the nurse cried, "This is where I believe I had an angel," because the nurse stopped him and said, "Doc, we have to check his pulse." And the doctor said, "Are you?" Are you crazy? He's not even hooked up anymore. It's just a glitch. The machine's just beeping. So he went to go with the sheet up over my head, and she said, No, Doc, and ripped his arm down. And I told the Spirit of the Lord, if He brought me back, that I'd let the world know that it was him that brought me back. See, man gave up on me, but he didn't. And next day, oh, boom, I wake up and I'm in a hospital bed. I'm shackled to a bed. I got DE agents by my hospital bed, two by my door, two walking the floor. And and I'm sitting there and I can't talk, can't move. And I remember seeing my lawyer there and I remember the doctors coming in and the doctors telling my lawyer, hey, uh, he's not going to walk. See, we don't even understand it. We don't even know how he's alive. And brain damage, he'd been gone for 45 minutes. He'll be lucky if he talks, if anything. Like, he's... All this stuff. And I remember hearing the doctors tell my lawyer that. And I remember the tears started to trickle down my face. But then, within an instant, it was like a light bulb went off again and see I couldn't talk but my mind was going and I remembered at that moment I remembered when the doctors told me at seven years old that I'd never be able to play sports again that's what came into my mind that when I was seven years old. The doctor said I'd always need a breathing machine, that I'd always need a man, that I'd never be able to play sports, to becoming one of the best athletes in New York State and and, and definitely down here in, in the Big 30 area, to being like, oh, talking to myself in, in the spirit and being like, no, heck no, to the, wiping the tears away and, and we can't talk. But see, I didn't go to the hospital. Hardly, like, I'd have to be dying to go to the hospital because, why I I hated going to the emergency room and hearing the, like, people groaning, and I hated it. Couldn't stand it. So that was the only noise that I was able to make. And I'm like, wait, what the? The one noise I cannot stand in a hospital, I'm making? What is going on? Why? Why? And like I say, it's because he was shaping me, making me and molding me into the vessel he's creating me to still be there. See, so I remember hearing my lawyer say, well, he's a recovering addict. I don't want him on no kind of fentanyl. I don't want him on no kind of medication, pain medication, none of that. So I remember night after night, I was in so much pain and what? What noise was I, I making at uh, uh, That's all I could do. That's all I could do. Okay. Sitting there with tubes coming out of every part of my body, out of my head, out of my legs, out of my arms, out of my stomachs. So I had tubes coming all out. And I remembered hearing the nurses come in saying to the, the cops, that this was ridiculous. And they're like, man, we're just doing our job. And she's like, he's got tubes all through his body. He can't walk. Why is he shackled to a bed? And they're like, we're just doing our job, man. Uh, From our higher ups. And I remember laying there for months and and a month and um, the finally, you know, uh, hearing them told the nurse the one day, uh, we're out of here. See, what happened was, see, this accident, what happened was I had a brain aneurysm. A brain aneurysm and a massive stroke. That's what happened when, when I sat there and said to the old cheese, see, the Lord stopped me. The Lord stopped me. So I ended up getting released to my father in a wheelchair, and I remember coming home with my with my Bible, and being in my room and not being able to read it. And talk well, I could read it because I right my mind still works. You can take my legs, you can take my arms, you can take my voice, but you can't take my mind and my love for God. And I remember sitting in my room. And I chaired praying, depressed and praying and asking God again to just give me my legs back. Two months going by and then one day finally standing up, I took a step and long story short, I took a step, fell down. And my dad called me every name in the book and said, are you crazy? Are you crazy? And I can't talk, you know, I can only make that one noise, you know? and picking me up and put me back down and i just out of the blue it's like a light bulb went off again and i was like but dad he told me i can and it was like i just got rejuvenated with the holy spirit see i didn't know even then what i got what 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 was happening wow. but it was the holy spirit rushing through me and i was able to talk within an instant wow and I just remember the tears rolling down my face and my dad's just crying and, and thanking the Lord. And I've never heard my dad say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. So, I you know, I took one stop to, to eventually, long story short, you know, I take more steps day after day, day after day. And people know my town really don't, you know, where I'm from, don't know the backstory because next thing you know, people are walking watching me walk all, all over town. I'm walking 30 miles a day, 60 miles a day to hundreds of miles. I'm, I'm walking to my rehab appointments. I'm walking to my outpatient appointments. And only in from Salamanca on 417. And, you know, waking up at 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning to get to an appointment at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. And snowstorms, rainstorms, 90-degree weather. I'm doing this, you know, I'm doing it. I'm going, I'm doing my appointments, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing to coming across, which I believe was my second encounter with my second angel. Because I'm walking back one night from only, and, you know, because nobody trusted me with a vehicle. At this time still, I'm freshly out of jail, right? Out of prison, you know? And, yeah, my dad, you know, many times my dad heard that I'm sorry or I'm a changed person. You know, so he wants me to start, yeah, we can all talk to talk. But he, my dad's a correctional officer and wanted to see me walk the walk, you know. So uh, I remember walking the one night, I'm so cold, so cold. <sighs> I'm walking back from Hawaii and on 417. It was so cold out. I remember I'm soaked. I got my book bag, my waterproof book bag with all my books in it, my Bibles in it, and I'm praying and I'm spending my time with God every day, day in and day out. I'm walking and I'm asking God to give me knowledge, wisdom, and just to guide me, to show me direction of what he wants me to do. And I remembered, I was so cold and there was a car coming up behind me and I seen the lights, you know, coming from behind me. And I'm like, here we go, another car that's gonna pass. To the car pulling off and I'm rolling his window down and he's saying, hey, Jason, would you like a lift? I'm like, you don't know me, man. (laughs) You don't wanna give me a lift. He says, oh yeah, I do i said no and i argued with him and he's like i know everything there is to know about you jason said, okay i'm freezing so i'm like you know what what's it gonna hurt you know i get murdered but <laughs> i lived a wonderful life i don't know who this guy is he's saying he knows me knows everything about me so i get in this guy's car what's he wearing he's wearing a ups uniform so i'm talking to him So oh, you work for UPS? So yeah. I've been seeing you walk this route now for some time. And I figured I'd stop. I asked you if you want to go left. So oh yeah. So you know he gave me a left home and took me right to my house, my dad's place, took me right to the trailer park. So you know, I talked to my dad. Told him I got to left home, he's like, "You're home for early." I said, "Yeah, this kind gentleman from UPS picked me up." Oh yeah, what was his name? I said, "He said he knows me, knows the whole family, knows everybody." He like, "What's his name?" I told him. My dad's like, "Hmm, I don't know." So oh, maybe you know, whatever. You drink too much. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So next day, second day. You know, I go to wake up at four or five in the morning, walk out the way and go to my appointment before this started, before the office came to South America. And uh, second night here, I'm walking, lights are coming up. I'm like, oh, okay, who's this gonna be? Pulls over and it's Bob again. I'm like, hey, hey what's up, buddy? He's like, nothing. Hop in, I'll give you a ride. I'm like, praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, you know, because I've been praying, man. You know, these walks were getting old. You know, I'm walking through storms. You know, like I just said, snowstorms, rainstorms, 80, 90 degree weather. I'm walking five miles or a few miles. I'm walking 20, 40, 60 miles. And... I said, what, what, what's going on? He said, nah. He said, you, you got your Bible with you, right? I said, yeah. He's like, I'm going to start picking out. We're going to start talking about the Bible. I said, okay. What are we going to start talking about? Because, you know, I'm fairly new still. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I read the Bible when I walked up, but yeah, I had this brain aneurysm, massive stroke, and it supposedly, you know, I have a shot in my frontal lobe it affects your short-term memory i can't remember things <laughs> but i remember this testimony like it was yesterday right praise praise you god praise you father so i said what are we going to talk about he said we're going to talk about the first book of peter so you know i, I we, we're going through the first book of peter you know and Third day, you know, I get home, my dad's like, oh, Bob, pick you up again? I said, yes. Third day, fourth day, you know, fifth day, you know, sixth day, seventh day, right? First Peter 1, 2, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and the Spirit was made has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. That's the scripture that sticks with me, right? So the seventh day goes by, Eight day I'm like, yeah, Bob's gonna pick me up. We're gonna we're gonna talk about you know, probably second book of Peter. right? that's what we're looking to go into. I'm walking. I'm getting closer to home, and no lights. Now he picked me up for seven days straight. Seven days straight. I just been messing with me because I was seven years old, died seven times. It was ICU for seven months. And now, this guy picks me up seven days, and now, eight, well, you know, hey, he worked for UPS. He's probably got a couple days off. So I didn't expect nothing. I got home. My dad's like, oh, you got home off late. I said, yeah, Bob didn't pick me up. But, you know, he probably had a day off or something. He picked me up seven days straight. Oh. So the ninth day goes by, I'm walking home, no Bob. I'm like, oh, maybe you had two days off. Get home late again. Tenth day I go do my thing. I'm walking back home and start crying. I'm like, what did I do? What did I do? Did I say something to this man? Because he became my best friend. So I get home. My dad was like, you're home super late. I said, because I stopped. And I prayed to God. And I asked God what I did wrong. And my dad held me. And he's like, you didn't do nothing wrong. So I said, you know what? This is the 10th day. Pick me up for seven days straight. So dad, this, can we? can you help me out? He said, yeah, what? said, can we call UPS in Allegheny? I want to talk to Bob and see what I did wrong. He said, sure, I'll help you. So we called and talked to the woman and she's like, can I help you track a package? I said, Man, no, 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 what are you calling about? I have a question about an employee. She said, all right, what's his name? I said, Bob, Bob so-and-so. She said, well, let me look. She's like, "Um, sorry, sir, but there's no Bob so-and-so that works here. I said, are you kidding me? You know, I've been walking day after day to these appointments, through snowstorms, through rainstorms, through winter, you know, maybe I'm just starting to lose my mind. So, my dad was called, like, let's call. And my dad helped me, and we called. We we're calling all over, and everybody were calling. Oh, no Bob, so and so. I looked at my dad. I said, Dad, do you believe in angels? And he said, Well, no, not really. Why? I said, Well, I do. And he said, Why? And I said, Because. I was pronounced dead for 45 minutes. I said, I sat there and watched the doctor call you. The nurse stopped the doctor from pulling the sheet over my head. I said, that was my first encounter with an angel. I said, and I believe this was another angel put in my life by my Heavenly Father. He says, well, why did you say that? I said, dad, because why? Because have you ever read the book of Peter? I'm broke, busted, and disgusted, just like Peter was, dad. But I never understood what the book of Peter was. He was a fisherman. And what this guy taught me, dad, was he taught me and showed me so many things in first Peter, second Peter. It made me realize that one day I'm going to be a fisherman. I just Are you crazy? You ain't going you to be no know, fisherman. I'm going to be a fisherman. I kept saying it. So I attend drug and alcohol patient. I'm keeping on doing my thing. And I run into a guy that happens to be my recovery coach. And I'm like, Man, I knew him, ran into him back in the day, and now he's a recovery coach. And I want what he has, like back in the day out there selling drugs, he wanted what we had, right? Now I want what he has, and this and that. So, uh, COVID hits, right?
2: Well,
1: oh, COVID, not yet, yeah, not quite yet. <clears throat> um, started, I came, so I started attending this church called uh, the Lighthouse and I'm I'm attending this program, I'm I'm completing it, and COVID ends up hitting, and and, you know, these guys that are in these half men's halfway houses around the area here aren't being able to come to NA and AA meetings anymore because of COVID. So I reach out to these uh, halfway houses and I'm like, hey, can I bring a meeting there? And they're like, wait, what? I said, yeah, can I run a meeting you, you ain't bringing to the the guys to the meeting anymore because of COVID and the regulations. But and I allowed in there to to teach uh, the you know NA program and AA program to them. And they're like, well, there's somebody actually doing that AA program, but you're more than welcome to come in and do the NA program with them. So I ended up doing the NA program with them, and you know. Uh, they're at the halfway house and you know, I'm going, you know, every other day to do this program with them. And, and one of the workers I knew, and they're like, Hey, we're looking for our, 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 our RAs, you know, you could get a job here. I'm like, that would be, <laughs> that would be sick. Really? So I remember calling my recovery coach, right. Cause he's helping me become a productive member of society again. And he's like, no, cause he works for the same, the same branch and he's like no give me like a a month or two i'm like but you know i'm kind of want some money i'm becoming productive member of society again. i need to start funding for myself he said bro just give me like a month next thing you know he sent me up i completed the program and that's crazy the day i graduated and i got my completion of my certificate of completion through outpatient program at cares and only in new york was on april 29th now do you know what april 29th is (sighs) april 29th is my birthday Uh i believe i was reborn again i don't believe i know i was that's when my life began outside the walls because see my life had already started inside but outside it was more proof so he's like yeah you can become a recovery coach now that you got your completion of your certificate of completion through the program you know uh let's get you a job as a recovery coach i said all right that sounds good you know and i'm i'm meeting buddies of mine that are coming into this program and i'm doing this recovery coach and you know, I'm going to this church and I meet this family that's at church. You know, see, so I'm at church and I'm in the back of the church because, I'm, you know, I'm in the real church. Now I'm not in church in prison where we're all wearing the same clothes in church. You know, I'm coming to church and what do you what do you think of church suit and tie? I remembered where I get my purse, first first pair of slacks and dress shoes and my collared shirt, walking in there to this church and I was like, I found my home because I had church surfed the whole time I'd been home and just felt rubbed the wrong way. And then the Lord took me to this church called Lighthouse and I remember walking in and I'm like, here we go, Lord, show me a sign, <laughs> show me something. I'm just going to every church in this county. I walk in, there's people wearing flip flops, there's people wearing spaghetti strap shirts, huh. there's people wearing sweatpants, there's people wearing hats, you know, I love wearing hats. I love wearing sweatsuits. <laughs> so thank you, Jesus, for answering my prayer, because I found my home. And that's what happened. I found a church, and it was called Lighthouse at the time. Wow! So I start at Lighthouse attending church, and then COVID hits. And, you know, I, I completed that program, and I'm working for CARES, and I meet this family and this husband and wife, and I meet their kids. And. Their seven year old daughters at the front of the altar, you know, and I'm standing in the back corner like a scared little boy. And this little seven year old is up at the front of the altar on her hands and knees saying, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Father God. And I'm like, Wait, what? This girl's seven years old. If a seven year old girl can do this. Why can't my grown butt get up there and do that? So I end up getting up there and doing it, and you know, i now from the back. I'm from the back now. I'm to the front of the church, you know, and uh, so I'm I'm meeting this family. Uh, I'm I'm running, you know. I'm going to AA. I'm going to NA meetings. I got a sponsor. I'm working the steps, you know. I've worked the steps two times now. I'm I'm about on my you know third time of work going through the steps and. I started, I sit down with my pastor, you know, because COVID hit, a lot of places weren't uh, allowing, even churches were allowing you to have these AA and NA meetings. So he had a barbershop and I asked him, hey, can I run a meeting in your uh, barbershop? And he said, yeah, what do you want to name it? I said, so we sat there and we came up with this meeting called The Fix. Why? Because we all need a fixing, Right. I know I need a good fixing every day of my life. I gotta ask for forgiveness because I'm not perfect, nor do I pretend to be perfect. So I'm sitting there and we're running this meeting, I'm helping the recovering addicts in our our community and our region and they're coming to this all recovery meeting and we're celebrating, you know, anniversaries and clean time and, and I'm celebrating my clean time and it's funny because every time I go to celebrate my clean time, I don't have a big celebration. A snowstorm hits because, you know, mine's January 4th, 2018 is when I was my last drink or drug. So that's my clean date, right? Right. So, so I'm sitting here. Oh, there's going to be a big celebration for my clean time. Big old blizzard snowstorm. Nobody can make it. Two or three people come because the weather's so bad. And I, <laughs> I'm going to the people of the church. Why? Every time it's something something to do with me, uh, there's, a, there's a blizzard or, or, or something happens, and they're like, the Lord wants to keep you, keep you safe. Don't want you getting big. Don't want you getting an ego. Don't want you saying, hey, look at me. I want you to stay humble.
2: Right.
1: The family I met, they're like, you're one of the most humble people we've ever met. And how long have you been in church? I said, oh, I just started. (laughs) Praise God. So I remembered having the the little girl there that I I learned that from. She had a sister. And her sister, uh, I asked to come to our meeting and give her testimony. See, she was adopted into addiction or from addiction into a Christian family. So I'm like, you know what? I want her to come speak at my meeting. And she came and gave a powerful testimony, a powerful testimony. And I remember going to her afterwards and I'm like, honey, this girl, <laughs> this girl's uh, 10 years old, ten years old. And I'm like, honey, can, will you teach me how to pray like you? And she said, you already know how to follow the Holy Spirit. Oh, da, da, da. oh. I looked at her as she walked away with a big old smile on her face, so I started uh interacting with this family and started hanging out doing you know worship with them and and doing work with them in the community and in the region and so i'm I'm working for outpatient I'm working for cares that the outpatient I once attended and was a patient of now I'm working for. Nine months goes by, almost a year, you know, and uh, I'm with the group of kids, you know, that that mean the world to me, that are teaching me how to come to Christ, <laughs> right? And uh, I'm like, we got to go pick my paycheck up, and, and we're going to go do some fun things. And I remembered pulling into uh, the building and the parking lot, and I had these kids with me and just – I got hit with a wave of emotions. I just started crying uncontrollably. I just started snotting. I'm not knowing what's on. I'm calling their mother. I'm calling their pastor. I'm calling our pastor uh, and, and not knowing what's going on. And everyone's like, what's going on Are you, are you okay? Cause I'm just hysterically losing it. I'm crying and I'm snotting and I'm like, they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, the Lord, the Lord wants me to go in and uh, quit. And they're like, what? The woman's like, oh, (laughs) oh. I said, yeah, he wants me to go in and quit my job. And she's like, well, my pastor's like, you know what to do. And I'm like, I can't quit my job. And I'm battling right there in the parking lot with these kids. I'm like telling them to be quiet because I'm going in with the Lord. I'm like, how how do you expect me to pay for my brand new car? How do you expect me to pay for my apartment? How do you expect me to pay for this? How do you expect me to pay for that? Well, see, Jason, child of God of mine, you weren't questioning me when you were laying on that operating table and you were begging for your life back. You didn't question me then. How are you going to question me now? So I sucked it up and walked in and asked to talk to the supervisors and the bosses and the directors and what's going on. I said, I'm resigning. And they're like, wait, what? We thought this was your dream job. This and that. So I'm done. I'm done. I can't take this no more. I'm done. I'm out. And they're like, what are you, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I guess I'm starting some ministry that the Lord's telling me that I got to start now. I had no idea. I had no idea that through my Bible, where I had written down a ministry name, it wasn't a ministry name. It was just broken and betrayed. Written through all my notes, written through on papers, broken and betrayed. To it being the full-time ministry that I was quitting my job to start up. And it was called, and that's what it is today, called Broken and Betrayed, Unchanged Ministries. See, why did I start? I didn't start it. See, right? I didn't start Broken and Betrayed, Unchanged Ministries. Jesus did. The Lord did. And he's using it through me. See, and I remembered, remember when I told you oh, that I told my father that I was going to be a fisherman, just like Peter?
0: Fisherman of men.
1: Fisherman of men. Amen. See, so started this ministry, right? And and it's going. It's, uh, you know, I, I've been doing it. And, you know, the enemy tries to hit me over the head. See, nobody's sewing into your ministry, You know, and people are like, well, how do you got this? How do you got that? You don't even work. Nobody's sewing into your ministry. How do you pay for your car? How do you pay for that? Well, I got disability, see? Uh, And when I say this, sometimes people get mad. But again, it's me, and it's between me and God. And God gave it to me. He didn't give me a disability. What he gave me was protection. See, I was homeless. I was carless. There's times I went to bed starving. But see, through disability, I have a car. I have a house. I have a phone. And when I'm done, I have about $246 a month to live on. But guess what? (laughs) Just like Philippians 4, 10 through 14 says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have.
2: Right.
1: I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it's with a full stomach or an empty, with plenty or little. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens
0: me. Amen, brother.
1: And it's a scripture that I I use every day when I talk to people. Because we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. See? See, when I was walking uh, 60 miles in snowstorms and rainstorms and hot, blistered days, he was preparing me for what was to come. And I was going to give up. That's what Dahini was wanting, praying that's and right. hoping. See, but not today, Satan, right? Not today. And, and, and that's why I started this ministry. Cause he told me to start it. And, and that's what I do. I work with the addicted today. I work with those. And when I say addicted, it just isn't, it isn't drugs and alcohol. things. It can be food, sex, gambling, shopping. And the main one I talk about mental health. See, I tell on myself every day because see, I come home from prison with no tattoos. I have a sleeve on my arm now full of recovery. And, uh, and a prayer that's on my forearm that says, I look down when I'm getting attacked by the enemy and I think I can't go on no more. And I look at my forearm and it says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And people say, well, that's not Christ-like that you got all these tattoos but what is Christ like? Because you're 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 an elder of the church, right? You've been a Christian your whole life for 40 years, right? But you're shunning down on that brother because he has tattoos, right? Shame on you. Shame on you for shunning down on him. You know, and so broken and betrayed ministries is, is just a street ministry that reaches the broken and the betrayed. like i once was man i was once broken i've been betrayed by my best friends, by my father by my family by whoever you could imagine but by the love and by the blood and by the mercy and grace of my heavenly father he has changed me and i'm and today i'm here to let people know that if he can change me he can change anyone. Amen. And that's what it's about, brother. And that's what I do. I do this rally in in Lincoln Park every year to raise awareness. See, I just went down to Tennessee at the beginning of the year and went down there to do a recovery rally because this this church seen my recovery rally online on Broken and Betrayed last. September twenty one, you know September second twenty twenty one, and they they wanted to know if I'd come down in twenty twenty two, so I did. March April around my birthday April this past year we had, uh, I had seven hundred dollars that I'd saved up, and um, well, my wife now was like. We walked into Walmart, and she said, where are you going? I said, I don't know. Something's telling me to go back to the lawn and garden. She says, what are you doing back here? I said, see that? We're buying that right now. She says, that's 650 something dollars That's our trip money to get down to Tennessee to do this rally. I said, don't question him now. He told me to buy it. She said, oh, here we go, your (laughs) blind face. I said, so three days to our trip, I spent every dime I had. I had, what, $60, $70 left in my pocket. And I started setting up on the corners of the gas stations down on the Indian reservations. (laughs) See, when I said I was going to be a fisherman, I wasn't just feeding people spiritually, physically too. So uh, uh, three days before I went on this trip, I was able to raise enough money to put the whole team up in an Airbnb, which was $1,400, paid (laughs) for everyone's gas that went down there and back. Hallelujah. And went down there for this one church. And why I was down there at this one church, because I don't know nothing about love offerings, right? I'm new to Christ. So this pastor that came with me, uh, the The table fellowship out in Buffalo, Uh, Pastor Mark Robshaw says, you didn't get a love offering at this church? I said, no. He's like, well, how are you going to get back and this and that? I said, brother, I'm being faithful and obedient to what God's called me to do. Now let's get out the the little four-way intersection and start passing out flyers for Saturday's event, right? (laughs) Well. I'm sitting there getting honked at by these people in Pikeville, Tennessee. Move, you Yankee. And I'm like, maybe this was a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to string me up. I'm a Yankee out here in Pikeville, Tennessee, where their beards are hitting the ground. (laughs) uh, This guy pulling up and rolling his window down, and it was like seeing a little kid in the candy store. His eyes were huge. And he said, what are you doing? I said, brother, here and take a flyer and down here doing a recovery rally at this church tomorrow. And he said, no way. Uh, hold on, hold on. I'm like, oh, God, what's happening? What's happening, Lord? What's happening? He's like, I got to talk to you. And he flies over to the side of road, Parks' car. He's like, listen, I live on the other side of the mountain. And this morning, the Lord told me I was coming to Pikeville, Tennessee, up over the mountain to go to lunch. Now, that takes me about 20 minutes to get here, so that's wasting most of my lunch. And I was like, are you crazy, Lord? He's like, well, listen, we're having at our church a revival right now, and it's on the way back to where your Airbnb is. So you should check it out. And I'm saying, okay, yeah, I'll check it out. He gave me the pastor's number, and I'm like, I'll check it out. And I couldn't even pass No more flyers out. I'm sitting here and the whole time I'm sitting there trying to pass out flyers, all I hear is call the church, call the church, (laughs) call the church. So I call the pastor and he's like, yeah, stop, swing through on your way over. We're having a revival right now. We'd love to talk and see about setting something up for you in the future. So me and the team – Head over there and we pull in and my ministry, the ministry coordinator uh, is talking to this one gentleman and he's just in tears. And I go over and I'm like, what's wrong? And he said, I don't know what's going to happen. I said, what? He said, three minutes ago, before you guys pulled up, all three of my speakers, (laughs) canceled. Dude, uh, family emergency. I said, oh, I started running around. They had a basketball gym. I'm running because I'm full of the Holy Spirit. That's how I am, man. Once you see me in person, you're going to know. I I, I jump, I, ho- I holler, I'm full of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, what? I said, well, d- d- here's one speaker, here's another speaker, and here's another speaker. Because <laughs> I had two other pastors with me. And he Uh said, are you serious right now? I said, trust in the Lord. Jesus did it. Not us. We're just being faithful and obedient. Amen. I was sitting there wanting to pass out more flyers, And the Lord just kept telling me to call the church, call the church, go to the church, go to the church. I almost (laughs) did it. But I stayed faithful and obedient to what the call was. And that's what happened.
2: Amazing and through that
1: faithful obedience to our heavenly Father, it was able to happen. Long story short, I went down there and was supposed to preach at one church, and I ended up preaching at five different churches. Wow! Sharing the testimony tour, one church, one person being at this church that didn't really go to this church, that went to another church, but was there because of the revival, heard my testimony, went back and told their pastor, and I'm getting a phone call from him saying, hey, can you come to our church tomorrow and share your uh, story, to go in there and sharing the story, but yeah, somebody being there because they were friends with this person, but went to another church, to, you know what I mean? Wow. Just the domino effect. Yeah, man.
0: the hand of the Lord.
1: Yes, praise God, and that's what it's about. Amen. You know, so, so today I sit here, you know, and give him all the praise and all the glory, you know, and just like, man, I was at Erie, you know, uh, meeting a group of people on Wednesday morning before the revival started out there, before JS revolution start, right? Before it started. And, uh meeting pastors and stuff to them wanting me to stay for it and i'm like no because what i just got into this jail out here through uh, jason Caldwell, who goes to the tabernacle in uh, cowder's Port that uh i'm helping in the jail now do jail ministry and uh i had to leave because three young men wanted to give their lives to our heavenly father and be baptized so i left and went back wednesday to baptize these young men and I'm like you know what I'm not going back out there to this <laughs> this Jesus rev- revolution revolution thing I'm not doing it I could not sleep Wednesday night the Lord is like you're going out there and what happened I met Two young men that are like, "Hey, you want to get on our buddy podcast? (laughs) You want to do this?" That is the power of the Lord. That is what the Lord does. That ain't what Jason does. That ain't what Kurt does. That ain't what Alan does. None of them do. That's That's right. The power of the Holy Spirit and our Heavenly Father does.
0: Absolutely, brother. I'm
1: here today because of our Heavenly Father, man, and I praise Him each and every day, and I just give thanks. You know, I give thanks to Him and, and just. You know, and I'm here today like Matthew five, thirteen through sixteen says that you know, like you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost flavor. Right. You can make it salty again when it be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on the hilltop that cannot be hidden. No land no lights no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket instead a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your good deeds shine out for odyssey so that everyone will praise our heavenly father and that's what he's brought me back to do to be the light for odyssey to let people know see like i don't know scriptures and, and and know every verse of the bible well, like I was told by a prophet, that is not what the Lord has brought you back to be. The Lord has brought you be, back to be a walking, talking testimony yep. to let the broken and betrayed know that it can be done and it will be done in His will. See, when I started doing these programs and the NA and the NA and the AA, and I had my sponsor and I was working these steps, all the steps talk about God. There's 12 steps. Right. And they all talk about God. I don't know if you know them, but they all talk about God. So when I got ready on my third time to do the steps for the third time again, I got to step three and it was the most important and life changing step because I realized what I needed to realize. See, step three says when I decided to turn my will over to a care of God who truly understood me. That light switch went off again. I called my sponsor and I told my sponsor, hey, thank you for everything you've done, but I don't need you no more. I'm not doing the rooms of any NAA no more. And he says, well, hey, what? I said, no, God has uplifted my obsession for me to drink or drug. Amen. He said, well, good luck. I said, no, I don't need the luck because I have my Heavenly Father. Because he asked, who's your, sp- who's your new sponsor going to be? I said, Jesus.
0: Jesus Christ. My Heavenly
1: Father.
2: Yep.
1: Well, who's going to be your support system? My brothers and sisters in Christ. Yep. Because you don't understand. These brothers and sisters that are in the churches battle with the same addictions that I've battled with my whole entire life. See, the room shunned me away. Why? God pulled me away because when I was going to these rooms, they wanted me to sit in these rooms and say, hey, my name's Jason, I'm a recovering addict. Hey, I'm Jason, I'm an alcoholic. Hey, I'm Jason, I'm an addict. Hey, I'm Jason, this and that. They got upset because I quit doing it. I started going to these meetings and when it would come to me and I'd hear the 15 to 20 to 30 people say that before me, I sat there with pride and full joy and happiness and said, "I'm Jason, a child of God.
0: Yeah, a new creation in Christ Jesus.
1: Amen." And a lot of these programs don't like me saying it.
2: Right. They
1: said you have the traditions; you have to respect the traditions. And I said, "Well, my tradition, I'm not, because I am a child of God, a new creation, a product of grace. Amen. I'm not an addict." I'm not entertaining the enemy and allowing the enemy to be entertained by what comes out of my mouth. Right. Right. We speak life, right? Death is in in the power of the tongue, right?
0: Absolutely. Life
1: and death is in the power of the tongue. Mm -hmm. And what we confess and sitting there, why do people relapse? 90% of these people relapse. And I've relapsed because relapse is a part of my story because I was confessing every day that I was an addict. Right. That's what the enemy wants us to
0: do, yeah, he's making you See, want to be okay and accept uh what you are when in reality is you're yeah. you're born again and you're an entirely new creation and and you know yeah. romans eight two says man, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of yeah. sin and death, we're set free from that,
1: yeah. 15 am eight. You know what that Yes, I'm a vine. You are branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch yep. and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, (laughs) you are true disciples. (laughs) This brings (laughs) glory to my Father, and that's what it's about, giving him the glory. And people are like, how do you get this? How do you get that? Because it ain't me, it's my Heavenly Father rewarding me for being faithful and obedient to what he has called me and you to do.
2: Amen, That's brother. What
1: it's about. It's that simple. See, my father just passed away. Two years ago. Two years ago I'm newly into this Christian walk and my father's, you know, God has took him to the doctor. He has his he got his booster shot. He's in, he's in perfect health. Nothing's going wrong. He just got his last booster shot in August. December has full-blown pancreatic cancer. Oh, man. They're giving him morphine, liquid morphine, pill morphine, oxytocin, Xanax. See, the thing I loved the most here on Earth was my father. An enemy was trying to use my father. To get me back down into the depths of hell, back down into that rabbit hole. Right. Because people would reach now and they're like, how do you do it? How are you taking care of your best friend? And with all that pain medication in front of you, and I would just pick my Bible up and say, this is how. This is how I'm getting through. To so seeing the man that I once loved and respected, would do anything for, to him that laying helpless and in pain and, and just praying and digging into my bible on healing scriptures and just begging and pleading the lord to do whatever he could see he only had months to live but he ended up living a year and a half after he got it almost a oh, uh, full year and then died uh, on june 15th of oh, 2021.
0: Did he ever end up Enemies coming try- to the faith? Huh? Did he ever come coming to know the Lord after you got converted yes, up and, to that point?
1: Yes, and this is this is what I, so we sit there, and I'm taking care of him, you know, and I'm reading scripture to him, and, you know, he had his rosaries, you know, and, you know, he's not questioning my faith. See, if you go back and look on my pages, on my page, on my, see, a lot of people don't understand why Broken and imp- the Trade doesn't have, like, a, li- a lot of likes on the videos and stuff like that. Because, see, what I do is <laughs> I'm a fisherman, right? Just like Peter. A lot of my friends and a lot of my buddies that are still involved in gangs don't want to be involved in the church, don't want to be involved in the ministry. Yeah. They appreciate what I'm doing but don't want to be on that. Yeah. But, yeah, when Jason does a live on his, on his main Facebook page, they'll get on. So you'll see, I'm planting a seed, right? So, so I'm sitting there. And if you go back, there's, I did some lives at my father's house while he was sick. Oh, uh, there's a big pyramid painting behind me. And I'm sitting on my dad's hospital bed and he's sitting there and I'm trying to be quiet. And you can hear him in the background. Yeah. You know, louder. I can't hear you. Rejoice. Tell me not to be shameful, not to be quiet. See, my father became to know the Lord. And that was what made, that made it all worth it. That made it all possible. See, when he got sick and he sat there with his rosaries, to seeing me with my my necklace that had Jesus on it and asking me where I got that. And I said, I got it from the pastor of the church. And he said, well, if I had one like that, I wouldn't need these beads anymore. So I took mine off i had three of them on and i took one off and i gave it to him and on the back it had my clean date on it and on the back of it it says never give up and i put it around his neck and i said what are you going to do with the beads he said get them beads out of here i want to be like you
0: wow
1: i want to be like christ so I called my pastor, a few people at the church that I respected, and they came in and you know did the prayer and asked them, you know, asked my father to repeat, and my father repeated, and you know, and my father gave himself to the Lord, you know. And Praise God! I remembered, yeah, I remembered the morning, uh, him getting the bad news, and this is the enemy, man. He was so full of joy. He went from being two hundred and forty-six pounds. To 130 in months. Wow. And I started taking care of them. Got him off the morphine. Got him off of that. I said, You don't need none of that if you're in pain. We'll get you something else, but you don't need the stuff that's killing you death. He said, Well, the doctor said I'm dying. I said, We rebuked that and send it back to the pit of hell. Yeah. And then he ended up gaining weight. He got up to 175 again and he's starting to walk again. And he's like, Yes. And this is months. He was only supposed to live for months, you know? And here it's it's six months past the time he was supposed to die, right? And we're just digging in the Bible. I got this one Bible that we did healing scriptures together and it was an NLT. And uh, he says he's going to his chemo appointment. He, he, he refused chemo but he had to go to the doctor anyway and he's like whatever they say son we're just gonna go with right and he's all happy he's with his walker he's he's full of joy and the enemy got him because when we went to the doctor the first thing that doctor said when he walked in was like you know you're still gonna die and i started speaking in tongues and i rebuked it I wanted to send it back to the pit of hell. But my, my, my father's mind was so weak and that's all it took. So I remembered sitting there on the bed with him beside his bed, praying with him. And his life he just started deteriorating. And I went to a revival one day and I said, pops, they want me to come speak at a revival, but I don't want to leave you. He says, go, son. You have work to do. I said, don't you be dying on me now. I'll be back. I got to the revival, and I was there not even 10 minutes, and I got the call. Wow. Then I passed out, and I remembered that morning, though, I was in tears. And my father was saying don't cry i'm going home to be with our father i said well that's why i'm crying because i'm jealous the spirit of jealousy took over because i'm jealous because you're going home to be with our heavenly father no more hurt no more anxiety no more worrying that your son's gonna be up. No more any
0: total healing.
1: You're gonna be there with your Heavenly Father, living the life of riches of healing. You're gonna be healed. Yep. And on that day, he just passed away and went on to be with our Heavenly Father. And people are like, "How do you? How did you do it? Taking care of him, he was getting all this other stuff. How do you do it? Seems." same thing pick it up each and every time i try telling people how hard it's the whole it's the bible it's our manual to life
2: right yep
1: it's not hard it's science perfect it's perfect. set in stone set in stone so you know going out jeremiah 29 11 through 14 for i know i have plans for you says the lord they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will, not, I will end your captivity and restore your fortune. I will gather you out of the nations where I set you and will bring you home again to your own land. See, and a lot of people don't understand. See, I'm from Salomeca, and I, I can't, like, it, it's, I've been an Olean preacher. I moved out here to uh, Bradford, Pennsylvania, and people are like, well, why are you from Salomeca? Oh, well, Jesus wasn't wanted at home either, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm listening. I'm listening to the Lord. He told me, and I couldn't stand PA <laughs> growing up. hated it. Uh, same thing, why am I moving to PA? Now I'm seeing it, I'm going into a prison. I can't even get into the jails or prisons in New York. But I get over here in the PA and within months, I'm, I, I I'm I got a prison ministry. You know, these NLT uh, uh, Bibles that I used in prison that I still have today, I drive around with them in my trunk and I go to parks and that's what my, my mission is. I go to these parks in these towns, villages and cities and I go and I find the broken, and I find the betrayed, and I minister the gospel to them. And, I, and then they'll come to me with that. that the enemy will come at them and, and say, well, I want to know the Lord, but I don't have a Bible. Well, guess what? Let's come to my trunk right now because I got a trunk full of Bible. All right. You Amen. hungry too? We'll feed you too. You and I do it. And people are like, how do you do it? Like I sold my Buffalo Bills, I, 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 I'm an avid Buffalo Bills collector. I sold my whole bills collection because the Lord told me to do it. Yeah. And he'll and replace it. He'll give me more. But, some you know, it's hard sometimes. It's hard, but then I have to remind myself, trust in the Lord. <laughs> With God, all things are possible. Oh. Da, da. oh
0: Hallelujah. So that's my that's my story in a nutshell, my brother wow man, that's a two and a half hour nutshell, and i I gotta tell <laughs> you, man, like that is the most riveting testimony I've ever heard, like I'm missing half the skin on my fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God, man. I appreciate you
1: letting me give. This is the first time I've ever gave a full, full, detailed one like that, man.
0: Yeah, man, brother. Like, you are a walking billboard for Jesus Christ and and what he can do in somebody's life. And, you know, the one scripture that stood out in my mind listening to you is uh, Romans 11.29, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, because you went through that how many ups and downs of the devil pulling you back and pulling you back and pulling you back but yet the call of god was still on your life no matter the position you were in and the lord protected you through all of it man it's it's such such an incredible story i'm like <laughs> i'm at, i'm in awe man cuz it's it was in it's in, and you know god gets all the glory you know and it's it's just
1: amen that's what it is Yeah. You're using me and I'm just being faithful and obedient to him. And like I said, I didn't even want to go back to the, the JS out there, my brother. Right. And I went out there, and I ran into an old buddy of mine. And he's like, you look amazing. I started talking to him, giving him a rundown of what my life's been. And your two buddies were ahead of him. And they waited for me in the back of the, the theater. And they're like, man, we heard you giving te- a bit of your testimony. Would you be willing to give our brother a testimony i said well yeah i'd love to does he got time? they're like man this is like a four hour podcast it's a perfect i'm signed yeah up because i've never been able to share my full testimony i've been cut off told to be sped along, and and everything else so,
0: well praise god and you know man it, it's crazy because god's put this this show on my heart for maybe like 2 to 3 years now about doing. And I you know, I put it off and put it, and it just got so strong and when I went on the radio with Pastor Mike uh, about a little over a month ago, I got so many confirmations from people telling me like you need to start your own show, just start your own show, just start it. So I did it. And he gave me this, you know, this idea of getting people to share their testimonies because in the church today, most a lot of from what I'm seeing, I've only been saved 4 years. Most people don't even know what it means to be born again, so I'm thinking if I can showcase a whole show of of people's born-again experiences and their conversions, maybe more yeah. people would come to Christ. So I'm literally only starting with people I know, like, in my circles and in my network, and I'm trying to reach people online. And well, it's, I got it, plenty
1: of people that you could reach out to. Well, you send them uh, my way,
0: brother, because I'll tell yeah. you what: the people that I'm messaging online that I don't yeah. know, there isn't one Christian that wants to share their testimony. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Like that's
1: that's the one and thing that we I'm do saying. have. See, that's what the, that's what that's how the enemy tries working through me too and discourages me because, like, wait, you're a Christian of 20, 30 years. You, how come you don't want to give your testimony? See, right now I started this thing, like I said, two years ago called the Testimony Tour, right? And it's once yeah. a year in Olean, but wherever churches have me and want to do one, I'll do it. And last year, we had a guy in the local park in Olean who just came out of the, lo- the park bathroom from shooting up. Admitted he just got done shooting up, walked out of the bathroom with the belt still wrapped around his arm and heard something that drew him over to our event. And he walked over, came to me and asked if he could share his testimony, said, yes, you're more than welcome to. And he said what he did, said how he just got done shooting up. And from that day on, he's been set free and he's been walking. Why? Because he heard the testimony from walking out of FS, and He heard a testimony. Yep. And that's all it, it took. And that's what I'm trying to tell people like these rooms of recovery and NA say you got to be the, the tradition the tradition mm-hmm. you got to be working the program for two years and have a sponsor and be working the steps to give your lead they call it a lead no like right. the, you you guys preach that the newcomer is the most important person in the room all right i'm going to step outside the box and I'm going to start something called the Testimony Tour because that guy that just walked out of the bathroom from shooting up, yep. he's going to be a savior to somebody else. Amen. That person, that little boy that's sitting there playing on the bounce house that heard his his mom or dad just give a testimony, now he's grabbing the mic and he's giving a testimony of how he came from abuse and this and that. Yep. And now these kids are praising him. Like, man, it's it's. Amazing what God is doing and how he is using me, how he's using you, and how he's using other people out there. Right. And when I cry it's, cry, it's tears of joy and happiness because never in a million years, you know how many times I've been to Erie? You know how many times I've been? I'm going to Pittsburgh now to hear a prophet, a prophet that just prophesied over me, right? I'm not ever in a million years would imagine myself going back to Pittsburgh to a church, and to hear somebody prophesy over me. Right. I was going to Pittsburgh for other things, a party, right. a drink, yep. to go to games, to, to get drugs. To so now for what the enemy meant for evil, God truly has turned for good. And that's what I'm trying to tell people. He is shaping us and making us and molding us. Into what he's creating us to be and what he wants us to be, but the thing is, is oh, I didn't get that job promotion. Well, I'm done going to church.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that that's the biggest problem. Yep. Because he don't want a two stepper. He wants somebody wholeheartedly. He don't want you straddling the fence. Right, lukewarm. He doesn't want. Yeah, he doesn't want you tiptoeing Absolutely. in the deep He Amen. wants you doing it cannonball.
0: Yeah, all in. <laughs> it's all in or nothing.
2: Yeah.
0: All in or nothing, man. You know that that's yeah. that's the one thing that we do have that can lead people yeah. to Christ is our testimonies. And it's just I'm I'm not I'm not seeing it. It's an, it's insane really because I see a lot of people that have such a huge presence online for Christ, but when you ask them to share their testimony, they say no, nah, I'm good. Nope. Yeah. No thanks. Not for me, <laughs> not right now. Not like well, okay. Well, all right, on to the next, I guess. But, uh, well, man, we're about two, uh, two hours and 36 minutes into this, so uh, I want to give uh, the listeners an opportunity to pray with us. Um, anybody who this testimony is spoken to tonight, if you don't know the Lord, uh, if you have known the Lord and you walked away and you want to come back, uh, me and Jason are going to pray tonight. And it's not the prayer that will save you if you believe this in your heart that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. He will come into your heart right where you sit and he will save you. So tonight I'm going to I'm going to lead us in a sinner's prayer and Jason's going to repeat after me and you guys just follow along with us. Dear God in heaven.
1: Dear God in heaven.
0: I come to you today as a lost sinner.
1: I come to you today as a lost sinner.
0: I'm asking you that you save my soul and cleanse me from all sin.
1: I'm asking you to save my soul and cleanse me from all sin.
0: I realize in my heart my need of salvation.
1: I realize my heart might need salvation.
0: Which can only come through Jesus Christ.
1: Which can only come through Jesus Christ.
0: I'm accepting Christ into my heart.
1: I'm accepting Christ into my heart
0: and what he did on the cross in order to purchase my redemption.
1: What he did on the Christ to cross to purchase my redemption.
0: In obedience to your word,
1: in obedience to your word,
0: I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus.
1: I, I confess with my mouth, Lord Jesus.
0: And believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead.
1: And I believe in my heart that he has raised him from the dead.
0: You've said in your word which cannot lie.
1: You said it in your word which cannot lie.
0: For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.
1: For whoever shall be
0: I have called upon your name exactly That's okay. I have called upon your name exactly as you have said.
1: I called upon your name for exactly who you said.
0: And I believe that right now I am saved.
1: I believe right now I am saved.
0: Amen and amen. And if you prayed Amen and amen. Praise God. And if you prayed with us tonight and you have a born again experience that you want to share on the show or if you want to reach out to Jason and, and get in touch with him uh, at his ministry, it's Broken and Betrayed, I'm Changed Ministries. You could find him on Facebook. Uh, you could find my podcast, it's Russ Podcast on Instagram. And if you want to share your testimony, shoot me an email. It's Russ Podcast at proton.me. That's Russ Podcast at proton.me. Jason, I thank you again for coming on tonight, man. It's been such a blessing.
1: Thanks for having me, my guy. Praise you for everything. And thank you for being faithful and obedient to what the Lord has called you to do too, my guy. So I appreciate everything you do and that you continue to do. So God bless.
0: Amen, brother. Thank you. And guys listening, it's been a pleasure. And until next week, we love you. God bless you. And we'll see you next time.